1: Program here on 3 855 on the AM Dial and Podcast on the WWWs as always on a Saturday. We are here to defend government schools. We are the defenders of government schools, D O G S. And uh, we've been around for a while and we have to keep going because lots um, of people are interested in taking government schools away from Australian students um, as they're doing in America at the moment. And we'll be highlighting what's been termed the Walmartization of public education. Um, and Walmart's been in the news lately, and for all sorts of nasty reasons. Um, I'll be highlighting what's going on with education in Australia. Um, oh, sorry, in America, I should say, in the United States of America. Because underneath all these headline-grabbing mass murderers, um, the public education system is being being gutted been gutted by the cancer of privatisation—it's kind of weird. We'll be highlighting that. Um, also, we'll be talking about the taste system here in Victoria and how everyone loves it again, especially kids. They've been waiting until this whole private colleges stupidity is finished, and now taste tastes are opening up again. They're enrolling in record numbers. And of course, we'll be dealing with other issues to do with both kids and money and education here in Australia on the DOGS program. But before we go any further, I'd like to actually highlight what Jean's been talking about Um, and what Jean has, in course, has a press release. It's a loose press release today, but it's still worth listening to. Jean, can you tell us more?
2: Yes. Well, before I go to press release 804... I'd like to go back to Press Release 803, which is up on our website. This, you might remember last last week, we talked about the closure of Presentation College. And uh, we told you about this, and uh, it was quite interesting. But what was even more interesting were some of the letters that came into the papers and the reaction of some public school people. Uh, the angst of the parents and the students at the Presentation college, jogged the memory of a lot of us who were involved in the school closures of Kennett, the public school closures of Kennett in the 1990s. And one of these people was a Megan Penniston Bird who has moved from Coburg in her lifetime to Hawthorne. But she wrote this, sad but not newsworthy. Why this fuss about Presentation College Windsor closing? Where was the outrage over all the schools that were closed in the Kennet era? Didn't it upset those kids and their parents? My primary school, East Coburg, was sold for a church school. It's up there and it belongs to the um, Antonine Sisters, I believe, from... Beirut from Lebanon, a Maronite school. Their fee-paying schools, for all their hype, are business ventures. This business, that's Presentation College, has failed, which is disappointing for those affected, but not newsworthy. And David Zignia pointed out the public cost of this private school, which we had also talked about. But he had this to say, the drop-in enrolments... It is indeed sad that students are being torn apart at Presentation College Windsor, and the dogs felt that too. Children are children, but they are best protected, we believe, with a good, strong public education system. But since 211, David Zignia goes on, over 39 million of public money, dollars of public money, has subsidised the school's recurrent student costs. That is, I'll read it again, since 2011, over $39 million of public money has subsidised the school's recurrent costs in addition to the more than $2.5 million of capital investment. And during that period, fees rose from just under $6,000 to $10,000 per annum. Remember that uh, Mr Kemp, who was an education minister, a coalition education minister, who said that if we gave more money to these toffee schools, then their fees would go down and they'd become more affordable? Well, the dogs have noticed that all they've ever done is go up. Now, these increases have served to narrow the enrolment of students to wealthier families, including many full fee-paying overseas students. Over the same time, the index of community socio-educational advantage, an indication of the students' socio-educational backgrounds, rose from a low of 1,058, well it was always above the norm, 1,058, 1,000 being the norm, to 1,092. The school's median VCE performance of 30 out of 50 has not changed over that time. So all that public money hasn't improved the results of these students. And many comparable ICSEAS schools, public and private, outperform Presentational College. And that might be an explanation for its enrolment decline. And that was written by Dr David Zingmier, who is in the School of Education at the Southern Cross University. So we thought that would be interesting. Now for Press Release 804. Walmart, Guns and Education. Now, in the wake of the assault weapons murders at El Paso's mega Walmart, America's number one gun seller, Walmart is America's number one gun seller and they are also the largest private sector employer. They have come, Walmart has come under justifiable criticism for its gun policies. What's the evidence of this? Roughly half of Walmart's 4,750 stores sell guns. And the company announced that that policy would not change even after the massacre. It also announced that it wouldn't adopt a no open carry policy for its stores, which means that anyone in a state that permits the open carrying of firearms like Texas can sashay through a Walmart brandishing a gun. Well, not unsurprisingly, some Walmart employees have voiced apprehension about that policy in the aftermath of the mass murders. And but getting their employer to prohibit open carrying in its stores would be just the sort of proposal Walmart workers could present to their bosses if they had a union. But Walmart's position on unions was made clear when the butchers in one Texas store endeavoured to form a union some years back. The company responded by shutting its meat department in that store, in every store in Texas and in every store in the states surrounding Texas. So their employees are not and cannot be unionised. Now... This is all very interesting information, you may say, but what has this got to do with education? Why is the dogs interested in Walmart? The dogs are interested in Walmart because, although they're the biggest seller of guns in America, and although they allow guns to go into their stores, and although they are anti-union, the Walton family which owns Walmart, is the richest family in the world and their family foundation is the single biggest supporter of charter schools. Mm. And in 2016, they claimed that they funded one of every four charters in the nation. So these are the people who are behind Becky DeVos, and what are they really up to? Jeff Bryant, in an article which was published in the Washington Post back in 2016, dealt with Walmart and what they were up to with their charter school proposals and the billions, I mean it, billions of dollars they are pouring into this educational for-profit advent- adventure and uh, it is a very worrying development indeed, which comes out of the thatcher reagan neoliberalism of the 1980s. And here in Australia, we should be aware of what is going on in America because we so often follow their mistakes after them. And already in this country, we have one third of our children in private education. And we have seen what private schools that are publicly funded can do to the public system. We saw it in the 1990s when they closed our schools. And uh, I'll be leaving it to Robert who will tell you more about this Jeff Bryant article which was published in the Washington Post. We make no apologies for talking about America in this context because we must be aware of what privatisation of public education means. We'll have a bit of a break for the moment.
3: Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The Campaign to Protect Country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang Country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit DWEmbassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty.
1: Welcome back to the Dogs Program. here on 3CR 855 and AMDAR. Oh, thank you, Jean, for your press releases. Certainly the latest one about Walmartisation. Um, just as an aside, it's got nothing to do with education. I always wondered why the issue in the murder, the mass murder, by a white supremacist in El Paso um, just in the last week. One of the things that wasn't highlighted, it was just assumed that a young man can take a number of guns, a high-powered assault rifle, uh, loaded, and walk into the middle of a supermarket, unchallenged, and almost as though it's an unsurprising thing because it's perfectly within the law for this person to do so. Um, and then set up shop in the middle of the supermarket and then start killing people. That's a normal thing um, in Texas where they have open carry laws and no one, not even the police, can prevent that person from taking a loaded military rifle into the middle of a store and then just begin when when they feel like it. all the good guys with the guns who are supposed to stop that person were wandering around, and by the time the police arrived, they, they wasted so much time um, arresting people who were wandering around with guns, who were the good guys. Um, so they didn't get to the bad guy, because how were the police to know that the good guys were the good guys and the bad guys were the bad guys? And, you know, it was all just, that's, that's their world. That's the world of the people of El Paso. And that's a normal thing. That's just the way it is around here.
2: It actually goes back to the old days when they had to keep the slave population in order.
1: Um, Perhaps, perhaps. um, I I know that the National Rifle Association wasn't very interested in um, open carry laws when the Black Panthers were arming up with assault rifles back in the 60s and the 70s. But as I say, I I think we're going on too much of a journey. Let's go back to the Walmartisation of public education and and what Jean was was hinting at. Look, Walmart are a successful and aggressive um, commercial operation that sells things to people. Um, They're run by a family called the Waltons, who are, as Jean pointed out, the richest family on the planet. Um, Just recently... To understand their business practices, um, but it's, it's 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 useful to understand what, how it is they go about it. What they do is they open up a, a Walmart in a store or a town, because America has lots of towns as well as cities. Um, and of course, the local supermarket and the local stores close down because Walmart can do it bigger and cheaper and better. And so, therefore, all the competing or well the competition in the town that was was just happily going along before then becomes competition and, and goes away. It closes down, can't compete.
2: What happens if it's not a wealthy enough place for Walmart to make all of the profits that they want?
1: Well, what happens is that Walmart works out how much, how much money they can make from this town. If they decide it's not enough, what they do is they just close the store. So in um, 2016, Walmart closed 269 stores.
2: So all those regional places didn't have uh, the local stores. So left. they didn't
1: have the stores they had before, and now they haven't got a Walmart either. Um, that's one of the things that Walmart does. Well, you know, can we make enough money here? No, we'll, we'll close the store. It's a large organisation, they can wear that small loss because it was making not enough money in the first place. So the town itself ends up with no stores.
2: Yes, but Walmart's been getting into uh, education and they set up these charter schools. What happens if the local school, the local public school, can't compete and closes and Walmart then decides that they're not making enough profits out of the charter school?
1: And that indeed is the problem. With for-profit companies, it's, 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 it's the fundamental major framing problem of what happens when for-profit organisations decide they're going to participate.
2: It's also a problem when even a religious organisation does it. I mean, Presentation College has just closed down. What if they were the only school in that area and we didn't have public schools that these children could go to?
1: In education. No, no, that's a very good point. Um, presentation of college of course is one of the poorer private schools in the school dominated by a large number of wealthy private schools. But of course, um, as we mentioned last week, there's a new public high school that's opened up because the state government's invested in it, and that's in fact taking all the presentation kids away because the parents have worked out that a good state school, a good state school, not only costs them less, but it gives them a better education than something like presentation colleges ever capable of doing.
2: But if a private school went to a regional area, say like um, uh, Macedon or one of those places, and they did the public school in, the public school didn't have enough enrolments and closed down, and they closed a lot of them down in the... In the 1990s, what then happens when the private school closes down? There's nothing left. That's why we must have a public education system for the children.
1: Supported exclusively by taxpayers' funds. Now, Walmart. Let's get back to Walmart in the United States. The Walmart way of education. Um, Look, at the same time as Walmart was closing stores... And that was spreading through the local media outlets across America. The Walton Family Foundation, which is a private foundation created by the retail giant's wealth, acknowledged that it would be doubling down on its investment in school choice with a $1 billion plan to help expand the charter school sector and other choice initiatives over the next five years. Now, why would a private, or a family, pour in $1 billion into education? Now, this is... A company and a family that are used to making a great deal of money and making very, very tough business decisions, aggressive business decisions, and all of a sudden they're incredibly generous. Why are they giving a billion dollars to education? Well, this immense treasure trove for expanding the number of charter schools only, not public schools, in the country comes in addition to the millions the Waltons have already spent on charter schools. In fact, the foundation's Strategic Plan, which was published way back in 2015, claims that one in four... Charters nationally have received, and Jane pointed out, money from the Walton Family Foundation. Well, Diane Ravitch, a friend of the dogs, has a few ideas about what's going on. She read a book, The Death and Life of the Great American School System, How Testing and Choice Are Undermining Education. Mm -hmm. Now, she explores whether there is any commonality between a warm-up business philosophy and the Walton funding of school choice. And she likens the competition that charters pose to public schools to the competition that Walmart stores present to locally owned stores and suggests parallel consequences. Just as Walmart forces stores that can't match their prices to shut their doors, so charters, which bleed students and their funding from traditional schools, cause local schools, public schools, to close down. In this analogy, Ravage poses fair and accurate, is what she's saying true. Or is this new model for school options being promoted by the Walton and other self-ascribed education reformers something more nuanced, Is there any evidence that their plans for distributing, inverted commas, quality education are more efficient than democratic governance in public education? Now, as the Walmart retail chain became the world's largest retailer, the Walton family became the world's richest family, with a combined net worth of around $150 billion. The Walton Family Foundation, the family's main philanthropic endeavour, was established in 1987, way back in the 20th century, when Sam Walton, by Sam Walton and his wife, Helen. Now, in Sam Walton's autobiography, Made in America, he voices concern of America's public school system and links education and national economic prosperity, particularly in the context of being able to compete with other nations. Oh very good. That's nice. Since its founding, this foundation has given more than $1.3 billion to education, according to its own recent calculations. Now, Sam Walton's concern about America's public education was no doubt fed by the animosity towards public schools that spread through the 80s, and in particular, by the presidential administration of Ronald Reagan.
2: It was the neoliberal era that Mm. we're now getting the results of in the financial crisis,
1: now this whole idea of school choice, most policy experts believe, is credited with the extreme libertarian Friedman Foundation, founded in 1996, after Reagan, by the economist Milton Freeman and his wife Rose, in ad- to advance his ideas on how to improve education and their systems. He says, this is Milton, this is Mrs. Milton Freeman, he says, our elementary and secondary education systems need to be radically restructured. Such a reconstruction can be achieved only, only by privatising a major segment of the education system, i.e. by enabling private, for-profit industry to develop a wide variety of learning opportunities and other effective competition to public schools. Now, I'm just going to stop there, because I think that's really interesting. Even Milton Freeman himself admits in that statement that he is not interested in educating all the children. No. No. Private schools are never interested in educating all the children. Charter schools are not interested in educating all the children. Presentation College was never interested in educating all the children. There's not a private school in Australia, in England, in America, on the planet that is interested in educating the children that turn up at the door. The children who live in the local area. That's not what private schools do. So Milton Freeman would say, Oh no, you've got to privatize it to solve it. But not all the schools. There will be other children.
2: Waste so, basket schools.
1: Yes. And they'll just go and do what they do. I don't really care, says Milton Freeman about that. I don't want to privatize all the schools. Oh no, 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 no. I just want to privatize some of them. For for the benefit of dot dot dot. For the benefit of of who?
2: The people who have to pay fees so that somebody can make a buck out of it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, privatising is all about for-profit. Now, it's not hard to see why John Morton's conception of how to improve American schools would be heavily influenced by Friedman's preference for school choice. Both individuals viewed the world through the lens of rational markets. And year after year, the Friedman Foundation has been a consistent recipient of, of money from Walmart, from, Walmart, from the Waltons. Central to Freeman's ideology is that schools should be thought of as businesses, with students being essentially customers. He says, in order to have a satisfactory performance, you have to have a customer who needs to be served. Freeman explains in an interview with the conservative Heartland magazine back in 1998. The public education has gone wrong in America, according to Friedman, is that the students' role as the customer in the system has been displaced by the professionalization and unionization of teachers.
3: So they've got teacher unions the teachers. have yeah. been
1: made ed- education a monopoly. Friedman believes he falsely correlated the National Education Association's conversion to trade union status in 1965 to a drop in scores for the kids. The scores changed p- more because, because actually there were more students who were then taking the test, whereas previously there had been fewer. But I think that's fascinating. Friedman is, is interested in deprofessionalizing the teaching profession as a solution to the problems in education. Mm-hmm. Well, as Friedman saw it, um, the only solution, inverted commas, to fixing the nation's education monopoly was through a system of, and here's the first use of the word that we despise, through a system of vouchers. As long as public schools were essentially free and private schools charged tuition, most parents would keep sending their kids to local public schools, of course. But introducing a voucher that could be redeemed by parents at a private school would break the dynamic and in turn break up a public education system.
2: So there's one theory that says that these charter schools are a softening up of the system for vouchers which have had a lot of trouble in America. We have them in Australia. The resource standard that we give to our private schools are in fact vouchers. But uh, the voucher system's had a problem in America, particularly to private religious schools. So these charter schools are a halfway house to vouchers, which Friedman wants, and Choice is underlined by a rather nasty market ideology.
1: Now Milton Friedman's animosity towards teacher unions also meshed with the Walton's anti-union business practice. And so now we get this synergy between Friedman's ideas and the Walmartisation of education. As freelance writer T.A. Frank writes in the Washington Monthly, Sam Walton was obsessed with lowering business costs, especially payroll, and he believed loyal employers were created by giving them a stake in the business through profit sharing, stock options and other means rather than by giving them more money. After the founder's death in 1992, his progeny eliminated many of the employee retention policies Sam Walton created. Frank recalls, but the vigilant opposition to unions remained. While Sam Walton counted the first pro-union outbreak in his stores in 1989 with a series of management seminars exhorting his managers to care about frontline employees. His children, in 2000, responded to union activity among the company's meat cutters by, as Jean said before, shutting down basically everything to do with meat in Walmart until the union's, union's ideas went away. Now, fully inculcated with Freeman's philosophies and motivated by the myth of school failure spread by the Reagan administration, the Waltons were ready for their education revolution to begin. Now, John Walton launched the Foundation's battle for school choice by throwing both money and influence into succession of voucher referendums through the 90s and beyond, and only to see the cause defeated at the ballot box, time after time. And also... In As the numerous... Sta- Sorry, what's that, Jane?
2: Also, the vouchers in the, in the courts, the high courts and the supreme courts of the land, they were rejected. Vouchers for had a problem in the United States.
1: Yet the public, the people of America, it would seem, were nowhere near as keen on the idea of vouchers as the Waltons and the Rebens. Then in 1998 came the Walton family's earliest ventures into direct funding of school choice. John Walton joined the New York City financier, Theodore Frostman, to pledge $100 million to launch a national and privately financed voucher program that would offer scholarships to as many as 50,000 poor, poor students. A voucher of $1,000 will be given to each qualifying family to cover most of the cost of attending a Catholic private school, which at the time typically cost around $1,500 in tuition annually. The idea was a scaling up of an effort previously the previous year by both Waltons and um, Frostman to give $6 million to the Washington Scholarship Fund, an organisation that offered scholarships to students who wanted to transfer from public schools to private Catholic schools in the national capital.
2: Now this is very interesting because the only piece of information that we're lacking is what is the religious preference of this Walmart family, such that they want to give vouchers, millions of dollars worth of vouchers, to Catholic schools in Washington. Fascinating stuff.
1: Good question. The answer is Presbyterian. Oh,
2: extraordinary.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Um just- Quick Google I had there, just while you were talking. Um, yeah, they're Presbyterian. They're sort of protestant. Um, so in America, for many years, the Catholic system has operated separately, and they are in fact the only, at that time, at the turn of the last century, um, only sort of large organisation that was running private schools in, 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 in the country that had a network, mm. um, which is why pretty close, well, pretty soon after that, they said, no, i are not going to give money to Catholic schools. We're going to give money to charter schools, because mm. that was the other option. So the answer to your question, Jean, is no, they weren't Catholic, they were Presbyterian. The Walton Foundation itself was one of the early organisations to tra- transition from vouchers to charters. Mm. Henning is a political science educator and he noticed this back in 2015, well, back at, back at the turn of the last century. In a phone interview with Alternet, Henning explains that the succession of ballot box losses about voucher choices, as well as numerous option polls conducted by conservative groups, influenced John Walton and other voucher advocates to conclude charter schools were actually the more politically feasible option of getting money out of the public sector and into the private sector. Henning believes many conservatives view charter schools as a way of, to soften the ground for potentially more private options, although is entirely sure the Waltons views charters as the Trojan horse for eventually providing vouchers universally. Nevertheless, there is little doubt the current intention of the Walton Foundation is to rapidly expand the number of charter schools to create a consistency of parents. Oh, sorry, a constituency of parents and others who will have a direct stake in the continuing funding and expansion of these schools. But, fair question, is the Walmart Foundation really intent on dismantling public education through its expansion through charter schools? Well, some people argue no, saying the debate about charters versus public schools is not what really matters at the parent level. In the view of Henning, who I was talking about before, the debate about choice needs to shift from being about charter versus public schools to focus on the role of democracy in school governance and how to calibrate democratic input into decision-making about schools. That's an important subject for sure, but when Henning says the debate about charters is not relevant at the parent level, it's not clear what parents he's referring to. He's clearly not talking about parents in southern Chicago, where in 2013... And reeled off a rash of school clothing coupled with charter school expansions. they reeled. real. It's just th- exactly what Jean was talking about before. Charter schools open, public schools close, then charter schools go belly up because they're not accountable and then you've got problems.
2: They treat parents and children as consumers, but what happens when the product that they're, pro- they're supposed to be uh, p- producing is actually not there. When a charter school gets rid of a public school and then the charter school fails, you're left with nothing.
1: As Sarah Carp reported in the Catalyst Chicago a newspaper up there, Walton had made Chicago its largest recipient of charter school grants and then gave the district additional financial support for a series of community meetings to, in inverted commas, educate parents mm. about the school closures and the obscure, and obscure the role of charter schools. The Walton money paid for robocalls to tell parents about meetings, mailings to parents and other engagement and community platforms.
2: Oh, won't people here in Victoria remember, remember, remember how we went to all of those meetings in the 1990s until the parents were just so exhausted they said, OK, come and take our school. We've had enough. They were dreadful. They really were dreadful. Those meetings.
1: Well, the same thing happened in Chicago. This churning of public school closings with charter school openings left some stretches of the community without any schools at all. Yeah. According to an article by tri Lee from the MSNBC network, calling these neighbourhoods school deserts, much like the food deserts many low-income communities know about all too well. Lee quotes community activist uh, G2 Brown, She says, This is not about school choice. It was really about providing us with choices. We'd have a choice to improve our neighbourhood schools. Hmm. That was the spread of school choice can actually leave some communities with fewer educational opportunities, no matter um, how constrained um, the whole process becomes.
2: Well, as you've pointed out, a private school that doesn't open its doors to all children is not about the choice of all children. Hmm. It's about the choice of the choice parents.
1: It goes back to that subtle omission by Milton Freeman back in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. He says to educate some of the children. Mm -hmm. As soon as you say some at the beginning, you're not beholden Mm -hmm. to educate all. Mm -hmm. Around the same time that Walmart was closing schools in rural northern Carolina, closing stores, I should say, in rural northern Carolina, parents in an Appalachian community in the state gathered to to fight for their local public school to keep it from being closed down. Many in the audience sobbed as students talked about losing what to them had been the centre of their world as long as they can remember. Mm. A local reporter noted a trifecta of factors leading to the imminent closure of the public school. Two of the trifecta, declining student enrolments and state budget cuts, are factors school officials and communities across America have faced many times before. But the third factor was new. Charter school competition.
2: And they were competing for public money because, remember, these charters get public money. It's not pure philanthropy at all.
1: Now, we'll never know if this was considered a successful outcome by John Walton when he committed his family's billions to expanding charter schools and expanding choice. What we do know for sure, though, is that when he made his decision to pull back from direct investment in public schools, he did so because he did not see the kind of results he wanted to see. But what if John Morton's disappointment in public schools stems from the possibility that Americans, as a whole, want other kinds of results from their public schools? What if they want, as D 2 Brown said, in his own community, is the opportunity to improve our neighbourhood schools, instead of having them replaced by the Charter preferred by the Waltons. Meanwhile, as the Walton family contemplates how best to soften the ground for increased school choice, and policy makers ponder the growing impact of philanthropists in education, more communities have to contend with the reality of schools, public or Charter, coming and going based on the forces that are not in their control. Completely lost in the discussion, though, is whether it's right for an American populace to have its access to education determined by the values and philosophy of a very small number of very rich people. Charter schools are funded based on the idea that money should follow the child. That is, when students transfer from a public school to a new charter, the per-pupil funding to educate the child transfers as well. But research studies told that this financial model harms the education of public school students. As the public school loses the percentage of its students to charters, the school can't simply cut fixed costs for things like buses and the building and cleaning. It also can't cut the cost of grade-level teaching staff. That would increase class sizes and leave the remaining students underserved. So instead the school cuts a program or it cuts a support service or it cuts a reading specialist, or it cuts a special education teacher, or it cuts a librarian, or it cuts the art program, or it cuts the music program. And that's how they offset the loss of the funding. For these reasons, and others, the introduction of charter schools into community now invariably sparks division and resentment from parents who stay committed to public schools. Yet none of the controversy surrounding charter seem to have altered the Walton Family Foundation's determination to expand numbers of these schools on the American landscape. And now, in America, they have an education secretary called Betsy DeVos, who despises public schools and is advancing the cause of private enterprise taking over education in America as quickly as she possibly can, just in case the president doesn't last another four years. Well that's what's going on over there, it's quite sad um, but I think it's worth telling the people here in Australia about it because it is the sort of thing that we're likely to be seeing because the strange things are going on in Canberra at the moment when it comes to it the ideas, it's really weird I was told by the Prime Minister that the the more money I earn the less tax I should pay because the harder I've worked I, I, I heard him say that um most of the people I know who have a great deal of money um, don 't work don't very work hard don 't work at all, <laughs> um, and whether uh, it 's just weird things, like it 's the opposite of a progressive tax system, it 's the opposite of fair, it 's the opposite of a fair go. Strange things. Um, but in America they 're already there, so I think we 'll return after a bit of music.
2: thank you, Robert, for that very interesting uh, discussion of what is going on in America with Walmart. Uh, we've spent some time on it, but it is relevant to Australia because we have been seeing the result of privatisation, not just in the primary and secondary sector, but also at the TAFE level and, to a lesser extent, at the tertiary level. But there has been, in Victoria, a turnaround it's become more and more obvious that privatisation of TAFE has been not only a a disaster, a failure, but it also has opened up the TAFE sector to a great deal of corruption and the ridiculous expenditure of public money. So Mr Andrews went to the election and said that he was going to open up free places for TAFE in the public TAFE sector and the public TAFE groups which have been uh, underfunded for years have been swamped. So there's a bit of a good news story on August the 6th we are told that Victoria's Australian TAFE sector will receive $11.7 million to help cope with an influx of students who have overwhelmed some colleges in their rush for free courses. Teacher shortages, and there have certainly been teacher shortages in the TAFE sector, and ballooning class sizes have hampered the rollout of the government's policy of free TAFE courses in occupations where workers are in high demand. Why would a worker who has skills then go to a TAFE college to teach those skills when he can in fact make a great deal of money just working with his uh, skills? So Premier Daniel Andrews has confirmed that there have been 25,000 enrolments in the free courses up to the end of June. To say this is popular would be an absolute understatement, he said. But he conceded that there had been pressure in the system due to the scheme's popularity. More than 50 courses are now free in a range of fields, including nursing, mental health, education and disability support. And Mr Andrews said that there had been a cultural change about TAFE. I think more and more parents are having discussions with their children and they're saying that university is not the preferred pathway, he said. Well, I think that the demand for TAFE has al- always been there and it's certainly been there from international students. And we have all of these very strange private charter schools, if you like, TAFE colleges that have mushroomed in Australia and have been getting money, sometimes for ghosts, ghosts, ghost students. It's been quite a, a very sad, sorry, $19 billion story of corruption. So the days of getting an arts degree, like Mr Andrews did, and being able to necessarily have all the options that you want, are not far from being over because trades are where it's at. Trades is where it's at has been the case since the 1970s. Uh, so, so many children who were from private schools were enrolling in the plumbing courses at Box Hill, as I recall, because that was where the money was to be made. A plumber was making as much as a surgeon. The funding includes $5 million that, of this 11.7 million, which is going to help TAFEs, that's public TAFEs, provide extra places to keep up with demand for enrolments and 500,000 for teacher scholarships to attract professionals with industry experience. And there's going to be 6 million for students with disadvantages to help with new course materials and study and literacy skills. Now, women accounted for 57% of the enrolments in free TAFE while their numbers had doubled in traditionally male-dominated trades. And students aged over 30 accounted for almost half of these new enrolments. But the TAFE system was on its knees five years ago after funding cuts from the former coalition governments and also Mr Andrews from the Labor governments as well. He said that growth in the sector and the need for more teachers was a fantastic problem to have well, it's certainly a problem. So uh, that is very interesting, I thought. Uh, We also had, on that day, sorry, on July the 5th, there was an editorial in the age on the issues caused by the boost in enrolments in the vocational training system only months into Labor's marquee free TAFE scheme are not simply those of managing the problems of success as the state government plays. Uh, claims. Uh, But um, we all know that. We all know what's been going on with TAFE for the last 30 years because our governments have also embraced this strange Friedman style neoliberal ideology which for some reason believes that private is better than public. It's not and ordinary people know this an education system, a transport system, an energy system, anything that is essential, particularly in a country with the geographic problems of Australia, has to be funded and administered by the public sector. But uh, that's enough of me for now. There's some good news stories now. Yep, thanks, Jean. I've
0: just got a a quick article here from uh, Jordan Baker, which uh, is entitled, He'd Never Heard Anything So Amazing... Why one 15-minute class is changing lives. Until last year, many six-year-olds at St Mary's North Public School had never even seen a violin. Some didn't even know string instruments existed until a virtuoso from the Australian Chamber Orchestra stood before them and began to play one. There was one little boy who couldn't believe what he was seeing, Principal Lisa Perello said. She started She started playing and his whole world exploded. He'd never heard anything so amazing. He wants to be in an orchestra, and for our students, that wasn't in their vocabulary. Now he has that opportunity, thanks to a groundbreaking trial in which every child in his class is being taught to play the violin or cello. Since the beginning of 2018, they have practised for 15 minutes a day under the direction of one of the ACO's teachers. They began in year one and will practice daily at school for at least three years. The aim is not to turn them into musicians. It is to give the children, most of them disadvantaged, access to the cerebral benefits of learning music. If you can get a child between the ages of five to seven and can give them a difficult instrument, you can get permanent changes in the way that the brain processes information, Ms. Pirello said. A lot of our children come to us with significantly less vocab than children in affluent areas. Our children haven't even heard a lot of sounds. We're looking to improve their ability to learn, to speak, to articulate the spoken word through music, through learning music. Tara Smith, the ACO's learning and engagement manager, said string instruments were ideal because they develop auditory processing skills. We're trying to develop not just musical skills, but grit and growth mindset, she said. The music they're producing is getting better, said Ms Smith, but the benefits were most noticeable in other aspects. Their reading levels have skyrocketed, she said. Their executive functioning, their focus and concentration... Their attendance is, go- is going up. The school has a lot of lateness. These kids are not late. They started doing the daily practice in the afternoon, but Ms. Perello moved it to 9am because it gets the kids to school on time. Every morning, the 26 children file into the class with their instruments and practice with their teacher who appears via video link. Once a week, the cello and violin teachers go to the school and take one-on-one and group lessons. We're extremely fortunate, said Ms Perillo. The Australian Chamber Orchestra is giving our children something we could never afford to give them. The orchestra was selected to play at the launch of Education Week on Monday. The trial is being evaluated by University of Sydney academic Anita Collins. It is also supported by the New South Wales Department of Education, which supplied the children with their instruments. Next year, it will be expanded to include all
2: year one students at St Mary's North. Isn't that a lovely story? But in time gone by, you know, the New South Wales Department had had an actual music department and every secondary school had one or two music teachers. Primary schools also had at least 80 80 minutes a week of music. So um, that is a really very, very good, good news story.
1: Every week on the Dogs program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools
0: are great. School of the week.
1: State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. schools School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Oh hurrah! Our great State School of the Week today is Thomastown East. Yep, Thomastown, up there in the north. Thomastown is a school. It's not very big. Oh, my goodness, not as big as Presentation College. Oh, no. It's only got 152 kids in it. Oh, my goodness, that's not enough kids to run a school, apparently. But anyway, it's also terribly, it's in a highly industrial area in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Oh, my goodness, Presentation College couldn't do that. The population is drawn from a very high number of cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds. They have a very high number of proportion of families who receive educational maintenance allowance. Um, 85% of the kids come from a language background other than English. And there's a couple of Indigenous kids as well. The exceed value of the school is interesting. 26% come from the poorest families. 26% come from the second poorest. 29% come from relatively wealthy families, Trade. Tradesmen's kids, yeah. trades people's kids. My goodness, I'm not trip myself up there and give, <laughs> give myself a slap. And 18% come from the richest quarter, mm, isn't it? It's like you know, mostly poor, but not all poor. It's it's it's, it's all rather interesting. And when I say poor, the XC value is a combination of how much money you have got and what degrees you've got or what qualifications you have. Now, there's a changing demographic in the school and continues to present a number of challenges the enrolments, particularly at prep level, they present with no preschool experience at all. And they're virtually pre-literate and pre-numerate. So this school is in Thomastown. There's a a large number of poor kids in this school out there in Thomastown East. And, you know, as we know, Presentation College can't deal with that. There's not enough, and they're all too poor, and they're all too stupid. Except Thomastown (laughs) East. Except they're not... (laughs) Compared to schools with similar students, they are substantially, substantially above average on every single marker. Reading, writing, spelling, grammar, numeracy. Boy, they get Compared to all Australian kids, you know, rich and poor alike, they are substantially above. They are caning it. Wow. Absolutely caning it. In everything, in Year 3 and Year 5, and reading and writing and spelling and grammar and numeracy, the whole thing. If you want a school with good numbers, this is the school with the best numbers possible you can't get better numbers for this school well, there's do you know there's a few
2: wealthy why... people have worked that one out haven't they? Yeah. There?
1: <laughs> and there's a few poor people that have worked it out too, yeah. thank you very much they're all in there together look there's slightly more boys than girls Fifty-six percent boys than mm. girls, that's interesting mm. from, from my point of view it's a, pre- it's a primary school I'm not, I'm not saying that dismissively but it's a primary school and so therefore it really is embedded in it in its local community so this school's just doing, I mean, I don't know, i just come across it. It's a, little, it's a little gem. Now, because they have these challenges, in the school they focus on oral language, on mathematics, and on literacy support. Mm. So if your kids are pre-literate and pre-numerate, you focus on the mathematics, because that's just a necessary thing you have to do, but oral language rather than written language to start with, and then literacy support. Clever. Schools made a long-term commitment to providing all the students with the best opportunities for effective learning, both at a personal and collective level. And they found this to be quite successful. Look, there's the equivalent of 15 teachers there. Hmm. So not that many. There's the principal. Um, And if if you divide it all up, that 15 is one principal, nine teachers and four support staff. Hmm. It ain't big, but gee, they're doing good. I mean... I'm sorry. People talk about economies of scale and stuff like that. How much does it cost? Talking about economies of mm. scale, how much does it cost to educate these kids? Well, remember what I said. Around about eleven, twelve thousand dollars for a primary school kid. Around about fourteen, maybe fifteen. You yeah. know, for an average kid. These these kids aren't as wealthy as the average kids, so you probably want to spend a bit more. Um, twelve thousand per kid.
0: Jeez, value.
1: Good, 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 good value i tell you what, the private school down the road ain't doing that with the same amount of money, I'll tell you right yeah. now. Because i was just going back to this again. I don't often say this, but if you want to look at the numbers, the numbers for this school in terms of academic achievement could not be any better. It is the best school. The best school. The great state school. If you're interested in what we're talking about, please feel free to contact us on our website, www.adogs.info or indeed the 3CR website at www.3cr.org.au or indeed if you've got a great state school, give us a call during business hours on 94198377 and I'll do the research next week but until then from the dogs, the defenders of government schools it's bye for now
4: I dreamed I saw Joel Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe Near ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, just says I Him standing by my bed They framed Judge, says Joe, but I did. Says Joe, but I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man says joe i didn't die says joe i didn't die and standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes says joe what they can never kill went on In every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your